you have your Bibles, can I encourage you to join me in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 is an interesting passage of Scripture. You say, well, all Scripture is interesting. I agree with you on that, but there is an interesting aspect in particular to Proverbs chapter 4. Because though it is inspired Scripture, these are words written by the wisest man that ever lived. They're not just words, they are insight into a conversation that Solomon, in my opinion, is having with his son Rehoboam. And he is basing his conversation on fatherhood and all that should be passed on to Rehoboam based upon a conversation that he had with his father, who just happens to be King David. And I want to be an encouragement to you as we learn from Proverbs chapter 4 what needs to be communicated and who exactly should be doing the communicating. And I also want to help you on Father's Day as we begin with this simple truth. There are no perfect fathers. So you don't have to feel pressure to strive to be one. Dads make mistakes because they are human beings. But what we can strive to do is to be biblical fathers. How do we know what a biblical father is? This is really deep. We look at the Bible. And the great statesman Yogi Berra, how many of you know who Yogi Berra even is? Yep. Everybody with a little gray. Yogi Berra once said this, you can see a lot by looking. That's deep. You can see a lot by looking into the scripture on biblical fatherhood. And one of the things that we're going to learn is this, you cannot rely on example alone to meet the needs of your children, though I have no doubt that is a great gift to give our children. We have to be intentional in our mentoring of our kids. And I want to help by telling a story about King David, by giving a little background to the conversation that Solomon is giving us insight into. And I want to point out David as a father, and I'll be honest from the onset, it is an incredible example to us. God, back in the books of the law, articulated some rules very plainly to be followed. And of course, humanity did not follow those rules. From the Garden of Eden on, and God inspired Moses as he's writing in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy chapter 17 to write some rules for kings of Israel. Now what's interesting about that is Israel did not have a king when Moses was inspired to write rules concerning king, which indicates to us that God knew the day was coming where Israel would have a king. In his sovereign plan, God is aware of the future, so the rules that God articulates, he does so in accordance with his foreknowledge. And the rules for the kings were simple. They were threefold as communicated in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. Number one is this. If you are a king, do not multiply horses unto yourself. I mean, for me, it's a pretty easy rule to follow. Why? Because God did not want you to ever place your trust in your military might. He wanted you to put your trust in him. Do not multiply horses unto yourself. Now, the second rule was this, and it is as plain. Do not multiply wives either. 
That's another relatively easy one for me to apply, what with legalities and all. The third was, do not multiply silver and gold unto yourself, indicating that God wanted him, the king, to always be aware that God was his sole provider. Don't trust in your riches. Explicitly, don't multiply wives to yourself, because ultimately they will turn your heart away from God. And we know in Solomon's life that was actually lived out. We are also aware that Father David did not fulfill the mandates of God as communicated in Deuteronomy chapter 17. So he has three simple rules to follow and he does not follow them. Earlier, about 11 chapters, in fact it's exactly 11 chapters, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God articulates rules for dads. And the rules that he articulates are not only for kings, they're for every man. Every leader, every father who would ever have children, and if you are here this morning and you have been blessed with children, this is what God intended for you to know, and for David to hear, and for David to be versed in. It is a job description, and it has not changed. Now you say, I know that in order for me to be a biblical father, it must be complex and layered. It's actually a twofold job description. Given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. First thing you must do as a father. The first prong of your job description is love God deeply. That means with your whole being, with your whole heart, nothing held back, no other allegiances, no other gods, little g. How do I know if I'm loving God? I will keep his commandments. His commandments will matter to me. This word will be prioritized in my life. Not only will I know them, I will obey them. Jesus in the New Testament said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that indicates that God does not want fathers to simply abide by the rules because it is their duty to do so. He wants that abiding by his mandates to be sourced in love for him. So love God deeply. The second prong to the job description is teach your children diligently. Listen to Deuteronomy 6-7, and I know you're familiar with this. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That means dads have to be present. And not merely present, they must be intentional in their presence. Because you have to be there when you're sitting in the house, and you have to be there when you're out of the house, and you have to be there when they're going to bed, and you have to be there when they're getting up. It doesn't mean 365 days of year for all of their lives, but you have to be present, and you have to be intentional with your presence, and you have to be communicating the truth of God to them. Love God deeply. Teach the truth of God to your children diligently. Now, that seems pretty simple to apply. That seems like it's not all that complicated. And David... Our example of fatherhood this morning blew it. But here in Proverbs chapter 4, I want to read in these verses and I want you to listen in to a conversation that Solomon, I believe, it's my opinion, is having with Rehoboam. 
based on something he spoke with David about. Rehoboam, I want you to hear what Grandpa said. Here's what we read. Hear ye, children, in verse 1, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. And the rest of Proverbs chapter 4 is this intimate conversation that David had with Solomon, now being passed on to Rehoboam. And it is striking to me that in verse 11, based on his conversation with David, an audacious statement is made. It is David speaking now through Solomon, and he says, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, I have led thee in right paths. How can David say to Solomon his son, who is the product now of his relationship with Bathsheba, that I have led you in right paths and I have taught you wisdom? That is an audacious statement for an imperfect father to make. That is an audacious statement for an inconsistent dad to make. And in there, I find great encouragement and I find a Bible lesson. And the first thing I realize is this. You can be a spiritual father through imperfection. David blew it according to Deuteronomy chapter 17 and the rules for the kings. And in a moment, I'm going to show you that David blew it according to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in always teaching things diligently to his children. But there's no doubt David blew it. But David also did some things right. I have no doubt, and I know that even cursory students of the Scripture know that David had an illicit, immoral, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And then he had her husband Uriah murdered by combat, by letter to Joab, leaving him out there alone and isolated. David then hid his sin with Bathsheba, now that she was with child, by marrying her and bringing her into the palace. And for an entire year, David was carrying on as though he had done nothing wrong, though internally there was a battle raging. David is now knowingly guilty of an adulterous relationship. David is guilty of murder, And David is guilty of being a complete phony and a fake. If you and I were to assess David, according to Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 6, we would say this, he was imperfect. A day arrives when Nathan the prophet comes into the throne room where David is, and David is restless on the inside. He's not sleeping at night. He is He is waking with bad dreams. He is racked with guilt. He is completely dominated by this emotion. And Nathan the prophet walks in and he tells David a story about a rich man taking a little lamb from the poor man when the rich man had all the lambs he could have wanted. And when David says that man should be judged, Nathan the prophet says something very pointed to David. He looks at David in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 7 and says to him, Thou art the man. David, it's you. I'm telling you a story about you. You who are the king and who could have had anything took Bathsheba from Uriah. You're the man, David. It's you and it's your fault. And it didn't have to be David. In fact, I know this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but God's going to speak to David. 
And in a way, you can hear the broken heart of God speaking to David because he goes on in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 8 and says, I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, why hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in this sight? Here's what God is saying to David. Of all people on earth, it didn't have to be you. Of all people in my kingdom and in my realm, David, it shouldn't have been you. I gave you everything. And if the everything that I gave you wasn't enough, all you had to do was ask and I would have given you such and such things. Why, of all people, David, have you despised my commandment? Why, of all people, David, have you broken my heart? That is a low point. David has blown it before God. David was completely and utterly imperfect. But the beautiful truth here is that David came clean about his sin and genuinely repented and threw himself on the mercy of God. And what I derive from that, and we don't have time to tell the whole story, is simply this. God gives broken men the opportunity to write new chapters in their lives. God gives broken men the opportunity to write new chapters in their lives. He loves a penitent spirit. He loves a broken heart. Not because he wants to break hearts, the humility that comes to God and pleads for mercy. What I will say to you is this. If you have been imperfect, a humble and broken heart grants us a new opportunity with God. You don't have to be perfect to be a spiritual father. I know this also, you don't have to be consistent, and aren't you glad for that? Because if there's one consistent thing about parents, it is that they are inconsistent. The Bible teaches us an incredible truth about David. When Samuel was going to anoint a king, he went to the house of Jesse, and all of the big strong brothers came before him, and God continued to say, no, 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 no. So little was thought of David's potential, that he was actually left out with the herds. Samuel, knowing from God that the king was not yet before him, sins, and David comes in, and God knew the human perception of David as he entered the room was going to be anybody but that guy. But we gather this insight from Scripture. Speaking to Samuel, God says to him in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. David's heart was good, but David sinned. And then after Solomon's sin, we read this, and David is long dead in 1 Kings 11.4. Solomon's heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. David started with a heart that God noticed, sinned miserably, and God's assessment at the end of his life was his heart was perfect. That is a beautiful, redeeming statement. Because again, it it tells us that we can have a new opportunity with God if our hearts are broken and we are humbled. You can be a spiritual father even with imperfections, and let's be honest, you've been imperfect and inconsistent. David, breaking the rules of Deuteronomy 17, had a lot of wives. This is not okay. People ask, how is it that David had a perfect heart and he had a lot of wives? There are some questions I also would like answered when I get to heaven. 
But I do know this, according to the book of Genesis, God's plan is one man, one woman. And in Deuteronomy 17, he explicitly said to the kings, do not multiply wives to yourself, and David did. And you say, well, wouldn't it have been awesome to grow up in David's home? I mean, if you had to pick a Bible home to grow up in, having David as your dad, wouldn't that have been great? Hold your horses. And while you're holding them, don't multiply them. Because David had a lot of wives, And David had a lot of sons by a lot of different moms. And this was not a happy home to grow up in. No doubt it was a home of wealth and affluence, even to the point of opulence. But these boys were largely left on their own. Three in particular, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. You know you have a lot of kids when you just start alphabetically? And he's starting with A's. And by the time, you you know, you're going to get a long way down through there. You can figure where Solomon comes in in there. Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. David is their dad. Amnon is not a good boy. And the Bible will tell us a tragic story about Amnon. In fact, Amnon had a half-sister whose name was Tamar. And in a sick, twisted way, Amnon loved Tamar. Now, it's not love like the Bible speaks. It's actually lust. And what the Bible will tell us very tragically is that Amnon concocts a plan and he carries out this devious plan and he rapes his half-sister, Tamar. Tragic. That's one of David's boys. Now, the fact is, according to Scripture, David does not discipline Amnon. Where are you, Dad? You should be present, and you should be intentional with your presence. Absalom, who happens to be a good-looking, strong boy with a whole lot of hair, according to the Scripture, takes note that his sister Tamar has been raped by their half-brother Amnon. Absalom also knows Dad's not doing anything about this. Absalom takes it upon himself to carry out some vigilante justice. Don't worry, Tamar. I'll take care of this if Dad doesn't. Absalom, David's son, will murder Amnon, David's son. So in short order, we have incestual rape and murder. Not a great home to grow up in. Absalom is caught red-handed for having murdered Amnon, and it displeases Daddy David. I don't want my kids going around murdering each other. Okay, that was humor and... You gave me nothing. We all can identify with that. I don't want my kids going around murdering each other. That's not okay. Absalom has to flee from Jerusalem. And David doesn't reach out to him. David doesn't forgive him. David doesn't discipline him. David doesn't build any bridges. David is absent and David is passive. Absalom comes back to Jerusalem and all he wants to do is get into the king's court to see his dad to the degree that he will set on a field of fire near Joab trying to get into his dad's presence. David never rectifies things with Absalom. Born in Absalom's heart is a rebellion against his passive father David. And so he sets himself up at the gate and he begins to steal the hearts of the people. He begins to give judgment and answer to their problems and the people actually begin to follow Absalom instead of David. And so one day he hires 50 men to run before him in horses and chariots and he announces that he is now the king and David 
The great King David has to leave Jerusalem back out into the wilderness and Solomon ascends to the throne and to such a degree that he goes up onto the rooftop into a tent and he lies with David's wives and concubines signaling that he is victorious and he is dishonoring his father. Great home to live in. David only gets the throne back because Joab, going against David's word, actually kills Absalom. And we hear David cry out painfully, Absalom, my son, my son, I wish in fact I had died in your place. This is a broken hearted dad. And we still have Adonijah to go. David and Bathsheba have Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived, and God has seen fit to pass on the kingdom of David to Solomon. This does not sit well with Adonijah, David's son, who should be in line for the throne. And so now David is on his deathbed. His moments of life are ebbing. Adonijah catches on to this, and he goes down into a secret place, and he holds his own coronation ceremony. And he announces that he, against the will of his father, is now the king. And the Bible tells us that David, at no point in Adonijah's life, had ever stepped up and told him no. So he just assumes he's going to be king. He hires 50 men to run before his horses and chariots and rolls through Jerusalem, pronouncing that he is king. And Nathan the prophet arrives on the scene again. He comes into David's basically death chamber now. And he says to Bathsheba, are you aware... Do you think that the king is aware that Adonijah's held his own coronation? No. This dude's not been aware of much of what his kids have done. Well, I need you to know that if David wants to rectify this, he better make Solomon king now before this gets out of hand because this group of people is coming to kill Solomon. So in his death chamber, David coronates Solomon to be king. Adonijah, knowing what that means for him, that it's his life, gets out of Dodge. I mean, this family is a disaster. There is no dad that I can study in Scripture, to be honest, that is any more imperfect or inconsistent than King David. A lot of kids, a lot of moms, a lot of wives, a lot of wealth, a lot of affluence, a lot of opulence. But he did not do right by Amnon, Absalom, or Adonijah. And having said all of that to you, do you now see the audacity of David to say in verse 11 to his son Solomon, I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. How do you get to say that? Because any kid with a head on their shoulders is going to go, you, the only thing you've shown me is how to blow it. The only thing you've shown me is how to mess up. You've been anything but wise. You've done anything but walk in the right paths. It indicates to me a beautiful truth. If we will acknowledge that we have been imperfect and failed, God can give us a new opportunity. It indicates that every dad who has been inconsistent can still make inroads while there is time and you and I will not get away with sin. Donald Barnhouse, who pastored a Presbyterian congregation about 50 years ago, he wrote this, and I'm certain this arrested the attention of the audience that he was preaching to. He said, do you suppose this, you dummy? That's just good preaching, calling people dummies. Do you really figure that you have an angle that will let you go up against God and get away with it? You don't have a ghost of a chance. 
There is no escape. Do you understand? No escape ever. And this means you, the respectable person, sitting in judgment upon another person and remaining unrepentant yourself. David had blown it. David had sinned and he had repented. David had blown it with his other sons. He had been inconsistent, but he had one more shot with Solomon. Solomon was young. He uses the word tender to Solomon. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Meaning there was a point in my life, son, where I was pliable. There was a point in my life where I was impressionable. And my father poured his energies into mentoring and preparing me. It is evident to me that David realized he had blown it as a father. And oh my, unless he was completely indifferent, he could not have helped but see that. And so he made a mid-course correction. I love what one author said. Every mistake has a halfway moment, a split second when it can be recalled and perhaps remedied. David made a mid-course correction. I am not done well with Amnon. I did not do it right with Absalom. Clearly, I haven't done it well with Adonijah, though at this point on his deathbed there was no fixing that. But what he did do was pour himself into mentoring intentionally with good doctrine, his son Solomon, which teaches me this. I can be a spiritual father in spite of my imperfection. I can be a spiritual father in spite of my inconsistency. I can be a spiritual father when I decide to father all the way through the finish line. And I know that Proverbs chapter 4 is talking about dads and sons. I believe this could easily be expanded and the language allows for this to be parents and children. But this is a father-son talk that David sat down and communicated to Solomon. And Solomon locked away in the recesses of his mind and he passed on to his son Rehoboam. And I know we could even study Proverbs chapter 4 and we could probably arrive at the conclusion that the impetus of this chapter is that sons should listen to their dads. And I do believe that is correct. But what it also indicates is that dads have a message to communicate. That dads have good doctrine to articulate to their children. And this is all based on love. It's good doctrine. God is saying, this is what you should have done with all of them, David. I am applauding you for teaching him and instructing him now. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 all over again. We build up and we strengthen our children when we make the word of God our common theme. And this is not something that you put on a calendar. Because the Bible tells us when we're talking, sitting, waking, getting ready to lie down, and getting up in the morning. Children have questions about spiritual things. And children go through situations that you can't really put on your calendar. Kids have spiritual questions and they need to be mentored intentionally by their parents with the truth of the word of God. And that means there are times where you're sitting in the house and a conversation arises. Time when you're out on the road and a moment comes on the scene. When they're going down at night, when they're getting up to start their day, you seize the moment to communicate to them good doctrine. And this does not mean that every conversation in your home is a spiritual one. But what it does indicate is that some of them should be. And our problem is not that we over-spiritualize every situation. Our problem is that we under-spiritualize every situation. Our kids need to know the Word of God from us as parents but I don't know it that well myself. Immerse yourself in it. 
Love God deeply. Diligently teach these rules to your children and you're never off the hook. Mentor them all the way to the finish line. That's what he said. I was my father's son and I'm now telling you this, my son. Do you realize that even if you have a kid that's 40 years old, they've never been 40 before and you have? If you have a kid that's 50 years old, Odds are, they've never been 50 before, and you have. I'm not saying that the role of authority stays the same. I'm not even saying that the role of priority, according to Scripture, stays the same. Because if they are married, make this little note, they are to leave father and mother and to cleave unto their spouse. They are not anymore under your direct authority as far as priority is concerned. Let go of that a little bit. But never stop intentionally mentoring. We have a generation of Christians and young people that are fledgling because the generation that preceded has ceased to intentionally mentor. And a lot of the things that the older generations complain about are actually their own doing because they have not intentionally mentored and communicated good doctrine. That seems to be a scathing rebuke, but I think it's true. David was not a consistent dad. David was not always a great model, but I'll tell you this. Even when you fail, what a wonderful opportunity it is to model how to get things right with God. Real men know how to say they're sorry. Real men know how to confess. And just listen to what David was sharing with him. By the time we get to verse 5, David said to Solomon, and now Solomon is saying to Rehoboam, Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. You ever talk to your kids about the things of God? Do you ever discuss with them wisdom? Listen, we talk about everything. Sports, relationships, education, life goals. Do we ever talk about getting wisdom? Do we ever talk about the pursuit of of wisdom and how protective it actually is, he'll go on in verse 7 and say, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my saying, and the years of thy life shall be many. And there's the audacious statement. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Could he say that with a clear conscience? Yes. Because mercy and forgiveness always give us a new start. Do you have hope to teach and to build and to model for your children? Yes. Do you have a lot of time to wait on it? No. I love what another author penned. The man who can own up to his error is greater than he who merely knows how to avoid making it. How blessed are the children whose parents, though imperfect and inconsistent, stick with it to the finish line and do the right thing. Thank God for his mercy.
Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.